Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. It probably helped that I didn't have any expectations as a debut. Genuinely, I just hoped, I don't know, a handful of readers read my book. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Welcome back. We are well into the summer of The Thriller Zone and man, are we stacked to the rafters with solid talent. You know, isn't it great to be able to know that when you want to hear from the best thriller writers in the world, you got a place to go? TheThrillerZone.com. Anyway, so good to have you here. On today's show, Sarah Pierce has written a book called The Retreat, and it's uh, a white knuckle. I'll tell you that right out of the gate. It starts, it just kind of grabs you by the neck and pulls you along for the ride. I'm not sure that I would take it with me on vacation to read, especially if I was going to a remote exotic island. <laughs> that would be like maybe taking Jaws with me as I was going up to Nantucket for a little uh, weekend stay with my friends during the summer. Kind of like that. Anyway, without any further ado, let's meet Sarah Pierce and her book, The Retreat, right here on The Thriller Zone. Hello. Hello there. How are you? I'm very good. So delightful to see you. So lovely to see you too. And I'm really apologies for the delay. I was actually on with um, somebody else and we had some technical difficulties. So it overran a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Can we tilt you up so I can see the top yeah, of your of head? Yeah, there yeah, you there go. Is that okay? It's lovely. See, yep. <laughs> I don't know which is more lovely, your uh, accent, your voice, or that lovely smile. Oh, thank you so much. That's a lovely compliment. <laughs> lovely to see you too. <laughs> thank you. Sarah, I was just on your Instagram page, which I probably spend a little bit too much time on, <laughs> truth be told. <laughs> and I noticed, and we're going to talk about the retreat here in just a minute, but I noticed uh, I, you were standing in a bookstore with a stack of these books, and I'm like, wait a minute, the retreat is over here, and her name is there, and it's a different background. <laughs> and I'm like, do I have the right book? So do they, they do different presses for different countries? Yeah, they do. So for the UK, I'm just trying to think if I've got the UK copy there. Yeah, no, so it's a diff very different spine, and it fascinates me. I know there are some I've got my copy here actually yeah. and yeah the UK cover is 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 very different but yeah market to market they change the cover so there's times where they will use the same cover um but other times I think they just feel sort of specific for that market will go with something else so yeah they are different <laughs> oh wow well the retreat which we're going to talk about in a second was oh my <laughs> god uh we're going to get to that I'm just going to let that explain Expression, say what I think about it. But uh, I did want to ask, how are you managing the heat? Yeah, okay, actually. We've um, we've had an extended period of heat wave, which isn't normal for the UK at all. Right. Um, so we're just coming out of that now. So I have to say, we've cooled down a lot. So we're back at kind of normal British temperatures and sort of grey skies. But yeah, it's 
been crazy. We've had like sort of bushfires here, which we don't normally get and everyone's been suffering. But I know over there, you guys are used to the extremes a little more. <laughs> Not only that, I, I live in Southern California, San Diego. Right. So yeah, anywhere between, uh, you know, LA South, it's yep. nothing but fires and dreadful heat and, uh, you know, water shortages and so forth. Yeah. But so we're we're a little used to it. A friend of mine called from yes. Uh, we were talking last night on Zoom. Uh, he lives in D.C. and he goes, "It was 99 today with 95 percent humidity." And he was like, "I oh don't my. even." He said, "My kid and I were out in a little tiny pool in the back deck, just splashing water on each other to try to stay cool." <laughs> Desperately. Well, last week, I kid you not, I was I was on my UK book tour, and I've never been. I've stayed in a hotel that had no air conditioning, <laughs> a hugely sort of old building, and it's the first time I poured myself a cold bath. I thought this was something you only did in books. I sat in the cold bath. <laughs> <laughs> that answers my next question, because I was like, what do you have any kind of secret, uh, you know, cure for that? Like it, when, when life just gets, I hate the phrase tips and tricks, but how to stay cool headed when you're focused <laughs> on writing and so forth, but it's a hundred degrees. Yeah, no, I don't have any tips, I suppose, apart from the air bath. Con, um, <laughs> and, and the cold bath. And I have to say here in the UK, I'm sure you guys are much better than us with aircon. We don't have aircon anywhere in our homes. So, um, yeah, it's kind of pull the blinds down, um, get in the cold bath, splash yourself with water. As you say, we we suffered. <laughs> yeah. And so you call it aircon? Yeah, air conditioning, aircon. Oh. It's just a oh. sort of shortening. Yeah. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Uh, it's funny because, in, matter of fact, the house we live in, San Diego, because we're so close to the beach and the cool breezes yeah. are so prevalent, we don't really need AC. But, <laughs> David, that's not helping me. <laughs> that's not helping you. I have to say, actually, here, we, I'm by the sea as well, which is good. So we do usually have the breeze. But this is the first time, I think, and it's probably not even high temperatures. It's kind of, I'm trying to think what it would convert to, kind of 30 degrees, we call it here, or 35 um, but yeah, it was just something there was no breeze. And I suppose, like you say, the humidity, we're not used to that either. So, um, yeah, we were suffering. <laughs> yeah. We know that you started off, you, you debuted with this book, the sanatorium, which I found fascinating and it was on the lists everywhere. Every time I turned around, I heard about it and I, I thought, um, a book that someone said, imagine, let's see if I get this right. Imagine if Agatha Christie and Stephen King collaborated on a book. <laughs> yeah. Which I can't, can you get any higher of a compliment than that? Oh, no, hugely not. And it, again, it was something really unexpected. Um, lots of people have sort of said, where do you get your inspiration from? And locally, kind of Agatha Christie is someone, she was born in my kind of local town. So you definitely was, it was there. But yeah, it was a huge compliment to have these sort of big names amalgamated as a comparison. I, yeah, I, I was, I was happy with that one, put it that way. <laughs> But the, the thing that's so fascinating for those who don't know is that you debuted on number one Sunday Times and New York Times bestseller uh, list at the same time. And I'm wondering, OK, well, first of all, what's that like? Second of all, which gave you more of a boost, do you think that or being chosen as Reese Witherspoon's book club? <laughs> Oh, I have to say, oh, I hate to say it, it's probably Reese. Um, genuinely, I think what she is doing, uh, yeah, I mean, launching a she's choosing sort of female authors, which is amazing, and she is choosing debuts. And 
I would not have had that exposure. That kind of instant, I suppose, use of her star power um, is amazing. She's lending that to a debut author in the book world. And I was amazed genuinely by how much it resonated globally. So it wasn't just the US. It had an impact here in the UK, in India, all over the world. I was kind of doing Zooms to Indian book clubs, um, various countries. Lots of people kind of use that book club as, I suppose, a shortcut for their reading. So, yeah, I kind of found people all over the world reading the book because of it. And, yeah, it will be a moment when I found out I will never forget. (laughs) Yeah. She's becoming – she's like the new Oprah, isn't she? (laughs) Definitely, yeah. And I think when you see what she's doing with film now as well, it's kind of carving out this space. And I suppose just lifting people up along with her. And it's something just amazing to see, yeah. And it's kind of almost like a community. You become kind of that – sort of Reese's Book Club alumni and and it doesn't stop you know she's promoting your book in kind of various videos alongside other authors so yeah she's doing a wonderful thing that's something I so admire about her I mean first of all I've loved her career I think she's a fantastic actress I love her directing um I love the fact that she, to your point, picks up debut authors and lifts them up. And the way that she speaks, uh, again, I spend too much time on Instagram there. That's my, <laughs> so my guilt, yeah, guilty pleasure. All right. That and craft beer. Um, but, but when I watch her, she's so, you know, there are those people who, and I won't name any of these names, you'll meet people that are stars and you, yeah. when you see them uh, proliferate their information on social media, you go, well, you're just kind of cashing in on your cachet, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Then there are others that you go, look, I'm just, this is me. I'm just doing my thing. I just love life. I'm happy. I'm lifting people up. And that's how yeah. I, that's how I feel about Reese. Yeah, definitely. And she's using it. It's not just even with W. She's kind of doing a scheme now or sort of un- unrepresented authors um, not from such privileged backgrounds, the mentorship scheme. She genuinely believes in her causes and you can see that. And it kind of has follow through in what she's doing. I think if you're doing it not from a genuine place, that sort of comes across. Um, and yeah, it's not serving her. It's serving the sort of authors around her, which is amazing. <laughs> well, and and to further put a pin on that is that she, I really think she gets the pain at Ford. I think she gets that at a cellular level as though this is how I choose to live my life versus, you know, in one sense, she doesn't gain anything from it except a big audience, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a sense of, you know, she's obviously reached heights in her career kind of professionally from an acting point of view, as you mentioned, the sort of directing and things. And I think, as you say, it's it's paying it forward. It's helping other people. She needn't do that. <laughs> you know, no. I'm sure she could have a great life not doing these things, but she sure. is choosing to do that and those books on a monthly basis and YA books. And like you say, she feels it and she obviously gets joy from doing that, which is a wonderful thing. Last Reese comment, then we'll move on. Uh, (laughs) Did you get to see, did you watch her show, uh, The Morning Show on Apple TV? I did. I haven't seen the second series, but I've seen the first and I absolutely loved it. She she threw a few surprises in there, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, she really did. And I think the dynamic between her and Jennifer Aniston, everything was just so well done. I think one of the things she does really, really well, you completely believe the characters. She plays the certain kind of person. And I, um, yeah, I just, I adored that show. It was yeah. Yeah, every episode I think I devoured really quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, that talent to where you you really are pulled in and see them as that person. 
it sounds cliche, but it is really true, uh, a, a true axiom of master craftsmen, people who really understand to get inside the character and pull you in. So anyway, kudos yeah. to that. <laughs> um, and, and I was thinking about as I was preparing for the show, I can only imagine, Sarah, what it must have been like to debut and hit the charts the way you did. I mean, that it's just so rare for that to happen simultaneously. And so I wanted to ask, uh, without being Captain Obvious, did it uh, prove to be unnerving? And did it ever make you wonder, oh, can I hit that mark? Can I do that again? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things. I think it probably helped that I didn't have any expectations as a debut. Genuinely, I just hoped, I don't know, a handful of readers read my book. So I never had the expectation. And it's not something your sort of publishers ever put on you to kind of hit those charts. Um, but yeah, you obviously have the thought, I'll probably never replicate those dizzy heights again. But you kind of have to enjoy sort of every moment of that sort of process. And I did. But I have to say, at the time, it felt very surreal. I don't think I kind of fully inhabited the moment. <laughs> I think it's only kind of like weeks later do you realize, oh, that happened and it happened to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess there are people uh, in this sphere that that has happened once and then it didn't happen again. And I don't know if, if I've, I've talked to people who have hit that um, bubble of depression when that yeah. surge didn't happen again and they thought, oh, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome kicks in or <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I don't think I've got what it really takes. Uh, it was a lark, you know, and I wonder which would, this is just rhetorical and psychological, which would be worse to have, if you suffered that uh, yes, ailment definitely. for lack of a word, which would be worse to have never done it or, you know, to, ah, I'm going to yeah. never do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, just, I think you have to maintain a sense of things that are often a little bit out of your control. So you can just write the best book you can. And for an amazing thing like that to have happened, appreciate it. And if it doesn't happen again, you kind of have to appreciate that you reach that point. I think in life, you've got to sort of, yeah, take the ups with the downs and yeah, just really sort of, I suppose, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed sort of every moment of that process. And if it didn't happen again, yeah, it's, you know, you've not reached the dizzy heights, but on to the next one. <laughs> it makes me think of a recent interview we had here in the Thriller Zone. And this particular author said, when we were talking about advice, don't become bitter because not only is the industry uh, much like showbiz, which I've been in and around for three decades, it, it, if you if it doesn't manage, if you can't manage your expectations or you feel like you can't achieve yeah. it again or you get disappointed by the system, exactly. one of the sanities is to not get bitter. And I just thought that was so profound. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you also just have to maintain a sense of perspective. I think unless you are a sort of big name author and you're kind of, I don't know, I suppose, set up for expecting to kind of reach those heights. I think you have to get a sense of perspective of lots of things happen to get you to that point. And there's an element of luck, a Reese's pick, you know, there's an element of the book and it being the right timing. And I don't think you can kind of necessarily assume that all of those things will always happen again. So I suppose I'm just grateful to be writing in a way. And I think it's probably, yeah, because I was a debut, I was probably quite humbled at the beginning, which is a help. But I can imagine if you are more established and you're used to hitting those heights with every book. If you didn't, you might get disappointed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to the retreat, which is a fantastic read. And it makes me, th it makes me think that many may want to think twice about taking a holiday with you. I mean, your first book was an old <laughs> hotel and your second one is a remote resort. And I'm like, 
what's vacation like with Sarah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I one author who loved my book, actually, Catherine Ryan Hyde, said she's ruined Lux holiday for us all or Lux vacations for us all. And I think that's the case. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, this is going to sound silly, but I've never feared a, a rock so much in my life. Uh, an outcropping <laughs> yeah. of rock. I, <laughs> I know. I, I have to say it's kind of made me look, we actually have the rocky outcrop on an island near us, which is where the idea came from. And um, yeah, I'm not liking it as I kayak past. I'm thinking. <laughs> good bad actually, vibes. Yeah, actually, let's do that because uh, I'm not the guy that will ever ask you, where do you come up with your ideas? But yeah. because you just said that, so you were taking some kind of a holiday or you were, you know, moving about and you saw this outcrop and you went, and what was that trigger that went, oh. Yeah, it's actually where I live. So the island where I live is kind of ever since I grew up, I've lived away and kind of come back home. But this island's hugely atmospheric. In the book, I kind of send it further out to sea. <laughs> it's a lot further out to sort of make it remote than this. Here it's just off our coast. And it has a rocky outcrop that it's named after. So it's named after a thatcher. So the idea is this rock looks like a person thatching an old fashioned thatched roof. Um, and I kind of got in mind, I love the idea of the topography of a place, um, the sort of whole environment, sort of having an extra meaning, I suppose, layer of meaning and that idea of superstition people place. We have our standing stones here at Stonehenge in the UK. And I thought, what if that person was in fact a reaper? <laughs> How would you feel as a person sort of staying on that island? And it gave me a sort of, I suppose, a rich scene for the backstory of the book, which was so fun to write. So, um, yeah, it was lovely. It was based on somewhere locally. Oh, and and for curiosity, because I'm everybody who listens to the show knows I'm a freak for covers. And uh, is this is this an actual real is this a real place on the cover or is this uh, compilation? Yeah, no, I don't know. I think this one, I perhaps as a compilation on the UK cover, actually, they've used an actual image of the actual island the book is based on, which is amazing. But in this one, I think it's really quite neat how they've kind of got the sense of I suppose scale of the island you have yes. here the idea of it kind of this bit is kind of the Lux area and then you have that sense of wildness and that was the juxtaposition I was really really enjoying when I was writing and you also have the little islets here yeah. which is in the book which is yeah. really great so that plays without giving too much away um that plays a part in the book <laughs> well uh on a personal note not that I uh, make it too much about me. But uh, as I saw this cover, I took a little holiday once uh, to Nicaragua. And nice. I was, uh, I won't go into great detail, but I was uh, in a cove area when the tide shifted. And I wasn't uh, thinking clearly. And I got caught in not only an undertow, but inside that undertow, it pushed me up underneath the ledge. And it basically turned me over and over smashing me against the rocks oh my yeah and it's the closest i've ever come to death i mean it was i was within inches because it was getting dark but when i saw this i thought of that and i just ha had this uh horrific flashback so it kind of oh my gosh yeah yeah and i was gonna say hopefully there's a scene in the book which is quite dramatic with that so hopefully it doesn't bring any flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> well i will say that that opening scene this and 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 sarah this is one of those things that you know when you're in the presence of a really great writer and i'm not trying to blow smoke up your skirt but it's when you can reach uh, to borrow a, a colloquialism to when when you can reach in and pull if you grab me by the shirt but then grab me by the throat and just hold me to that place until i think i can't quite catch my breath 
which is what you did, which is oh, what I love. You. Yeah, which is why I read thrillers. I'm like, scare the shit out of <laughs> me, same. would you? Yeah, honestly, I'm exactly the same. And and I was doing um uh, a show with someone the other day and we were just talking about it. And I said, that is why I love writing thrillers. And it's the same as you. I love that feeling where almost, I suppose, the cinematic process of you're there and you're feeling it and you you, you are by the throat and you have to keep turning the pages. And that, for me, is a good thriller. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing, uh, because, I, and again, not to get too mechanical, but you have lots of white space and dialogue and you you uh, uh, you move the sentences really quickly and the chapters are rather short with even nearly a hundred of them. But that's yep. what makes, you know, there are people who go, oh, but you need to be more literary and <laughs> carry it on for long spaces. I'm like, no, make me no. just rip through those pages and escape, right? Yeah, exactly. I think one of the, I'm trying to think who, I'm sure it's another famous author, and I'm sorry if I misquote or haven't attributed it to them, but they said basically kind of go into that chapter late and leave it early in terms of action. And I think that is a really, really good tip. I think there's a balance between description and emotion and just sheer, sheer page turning propulsion. And every chapter, I always see it as kind of like a scene, I suppose, in a film where something is happening to move that plot along. Um, and yeah, I think if you don't do that, that's when the things start to lag. I think that's the best piece of advice. Get in late, get out early. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't necessarily, and not to be too, again, too mechanical, don't spend the time building up. Why not just jump right in when you're in the middle of something like you did here. And then just about the time you think what could happen next, you're out and you're like, oh, you're out. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I do have, um, oh, here's another thought. And take this as a compliment because I read a lot for this show and I read a lot of military thrillers from guys like Brad Thor and and, uh, Andrews Wilson. And I could go on and on, but it made me think, wow, what would Sarah do if all of a sudden someone presented her with uh, an opportunity to write like a military thriller and she could compete with these dudes in a heartbeat? Oh, that's a, that's a big compliment actually. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I go on. No, I was going to say, and I and I doubt that that would ever be an interest. But I and I don't know why I had that random thought. But I'm like, man, she would really she would tear it to shreds. Oh, thank you. I think perhaps I don't know whether it's sort of comparing perhaps with sort of the action side of things. But I yes. think one of the sort of elements of writing the thriller that I've enjoyed and I've noticed in perhaps. I don't want to say sort of psychological thrillers or contemporary thrillers. They're steering away from sort of the overt action. And I love the idea of the sort of main character or protagonist being in a physical peril, not just an emotional peril. And I do love that sort of sense of propulsion and tension you get when the kind of yeah protagonist is, is in an action scene, I suppose. So, yeah, I don't know if that has a resonance for you. But, yeah, I think that must be what it is, because, you know, I was expecting more. Um, maybe psychological thriller, for lack of a better term. But when you yeah. got into the action, that's what made me go, oh, she could rip through some. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and here's what I just finished reading um, and interviewing uh, uh, Brian Freeman for his uh, Born, The Born Sacrifice, which is I'm a ginormous Jason Bourne fan. And I'm like, I would love to see a woman take on the Jason Bourne character. Oh, how interesting, looking my way. I'm looking at you, girl. 
Thank you. But yeah, and I think it's interesting as well, because I think with what I'm trying to do in the book, I think we do have those sort of emotional elements of Ellen as a character, but we also do, like you say, see her as that sort of action figure, as you mentioned with Bourne, and I definitely think it could be done. But yeah, I'm... I kind of want to steer away necessarily from it just being the psychological aspect. And that really has been something we've seen. Um, I think it makes Ellen quite a controversial character. Not sure everyone loves that, but I'm good for that. (laughs) (laughs) Should she go into those situations? Lots of people say, would she go into these situations? I say, yes, she would. (laughs) Of course she would. If you ever studied improv, you'd always know that. Yes. And. Yeah, exactly. Um. Here's a question that has been what I would call softly debated over the past year of the show. We're now celebrating uh, our second year, and it pertains to gaining a higher education. Because as I was reading about you, I see you studied English lit and creative writing before getting a degree in broadcast journalism like myself. So my question is, um, and it's just opinion, do you think that a degree, perhaps a master's, not necessarily a master's, is helpful and or necessary to crafting a writing career? Oh, gosh, it's a big question to unpick, actually, because I think there's things I gained from my degree. But I would probably say overall that I think just being a voracious reader is the thing you need to write more than anything. And I think from a craft level, um, it depends, I suppose, on the course you're doing or the masters you're doing. My one, I suppose, was slightly focused perhaps more on literary fiction anyway. Um, And it was more focused on, I suppose, less about what makes a book sell commercially. Um, So there were aspects of the course that were helpful. I think one of the big things was that we just had to sit down and write. So our tutor would say to us, right, get in the room. You have to write for an hour. And there was none of that kind of I have writer's block, which is helpful. And also lots of feedback. So we learned to develop a thick skin because we'd critique each other's work, which is really helpful. But I absolutely don't think it's necessary. I think if you're a voracious reader, you love writing. I think you can gain a lot just from reading and studying other people's books and learning what you do and don't like about a book. I don't think it's a must have to do a master's. I think here in the UK, there are advantages in terms of some of the courses will let you meet agents, for example, and learn more about the publishing industry. But for the craft itself, no, I don't think it's essential. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to find out one of Sarah Pierce's favorite authors that isn't in the fiction world. Stay with us. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show. And I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be. And you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. (laughs) We're easy to work with, as you know. And we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. Hi, I'm Sarah Pierce, author of Retreat, and I'm hanging out with my good friend David Temple on The Thriller Zone. Your favorite authors. And now back to the show. Do you have a favorite author who is a teacher as well as a great writer? And I mean, like the very first book that pops into my head is Stephen King on writing. 
Yeah. Do you have a favorite book that you've read that that is nonfiction that you went, oh, this really helped me gain perspective mm. in my career? I haven't, I don't think. I think I've genuinely probably learned more. One of my favorite authors, actually, is a Scandinavian author called Joe Nesbo. Um, and one book of his, which I suppose is in some way influenced the sanatorium, is Snowman, and it's up on my kind of top shelf. And something he does in his books, um, he has a character, Harry Hula, or Harry Hole, as he's sometimes known, who is a really nuanced character. And there's action in his books, and there's that sense of page-turning propulsion. I think probably I've got kind of most of my learning from studying other authors and a lot of male authors, female authors as well in different genre. But I think a lot of the male kind of thriller writers, um, yeah, taught me a lot, I suppose, about the craft. And I'm going to go back on one of phrase that you just said, and that is this. It is true, and I, I probably in the last, what are we at? We're nearly at 80 episodes every 80% of those people have said a variation on that theme, that if you want to be a great writer, you got to be a great reader. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be a great reader. And also, I think, read really widely. I think there's elements I love. There's an author, British author I love called Sarah Walters, who writes historical fiction. And definitely even her work has played in as an inspiration to my writing. So definitely not even your own genre, like you say, nonfiction, fiction. But just, yeah, kind of understanding what you like in a book, I think, is really good, as well as obviously you've got your own idea and an idea you're passionate about and that excites you and makes you want to sit down. But, yeah, understanding, I suppose, the craft from other people and why you like that book. Um, not every book will appeal to every reader, but I think, you know, the ones that you kind of keep on your shelf would go back to. And there is an art in that. And, yeah, I think there's an just try and unpick, I suppose, what makes those books tick. That's probably my best advice. Oh, superb. Well, I have a uh, space for some more advice here in just a moment. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to find out from uh, Sarah Pierce, maybe some of the best quotes that have come her way and what inspires her to write. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to The Thriller Zone. I'm David Temple. I'm in Sarah, with uh, Sarah Pierce, and we're talking about this beautiful book, The Retreat. And I call it beautiful because the cover's beautiful, but it is intriguing and scares the shit out of you. Okay, I'm just going to say that. And <laughs> because, and, and this is one of the things I love about this book. You think, and, and this sounds cliche, but just bear with me. It You you think you know what's going on, and you're following along, and you're like, yeah, okay, well, I got this. I I'm not, may not even have to finish the book. I don't know, because I've already figured out it. And then you realize, Oh, no, I, I didn't actually figure that out just yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a couple of reviews that I wanted to uh, read, which just blows my mind, and and these two particularly would make me go buy the book. Uh, David Baldacci said, the suspense inexorably builds to a stunning climax. And coming from Baldacci, I mean, forget about <laughs> it, right? Then Sandy Jones, New York Times bestseller, author of The Other Woman, great book, said the tension is taut, the suspense real, and the pace builds to a heart-stopping finale. Oh. Now, for those people who don't read blurbs on books, this may not affect them or even across their mind. But I'm one of those guys that uh, on a rare occasion, I love to pick it up, flip it over, and I'll read I'll read the blurbs to find out who's writing them and what's the uh, general energy of it. Then I may not even go inside and read about the story because then I'll go, I want all the surprises to come my way. And that's oh, what that's I, interesting. And yeah. that's what I did with this. I went, okay, it's a retreat. It's probably a holiday. It's a spa, something like that. Great. It's an island. That's all I need. And <laughs> because I love all those surprises. I don't even want to know 
on a rare occasion, I don't even, I don't want to know, is it an investigator? Is it, is it a family? Is it a, you know, cop? I, I, you know, and that was this book. While you were writing that, did you, do you kind of, not to sound too metaphysical, do you channel any kind of energy or spirits? And I don't mean that in a uh, medium kind of way. I mean it Mm. in, do you, uh, you know, when you hear authors go, oh, I just sit and I listen to their that character's voice and that character kind of fills my mind. Do you have a yep. similar process? Yeah, definitely. I think when you're writing, and I think probably for me in the retreat, it's a standalone, but we feature the same detective we kind of met in the sanatorium. So yeah, you definitely, I really inhabit the characters, I suppose, when you're writing. You are that person. Um and it, like you say, not in a sort of medium way, but your your mind, You, I see myself, I suppose, almost as the character, almost within the movie of the book in my mind. I'm moving around that space as that person. And it's a really tricky thing to describe. Uh, but I think I know when a scene is going well, when I'm there. And I kind of almost, someone will call me, like my children will call me, and I'm kind of jerked out of that world. And I think that's when you know the writing is going well. When you are that person, you're on that island, you're feeling those feelings, you're feeling the, the rain on your face, you're feeling the wind. And yeah, you have to, for me personally, inhabit the characters in order to write them well. It doesn't work otherwise. Yeah. That feeling of getting lost is really magical. Um, yeah. And my my wife, for instance, Tammy, is is left brain. Left brain is analytical, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm right brain, completely creative. <laughs> could not balance a checkbook or do a spreadsheets make me break out in a rash, right? (laughs) The same. My husband's the same as your wife. (laughs) Right. Whereas she, you mentioned the word, hey, honey, can you pull up that spreadsheet? Oh yeah, just a second. Oh, I'm being silly, but I mean, she, she, because of her organizational skills and the business she's in, she, she loves it. So here's the point I'm getting at. When I sit down to craft my books, she'll come in the book and start uh, in the room and start talking to me. And I am completely lost in that world. And she has to like tap me. Oh, there you are. And she goes, where were you? I'm like, I was in the city and crafting this. (laughs) And she'll just sit and look at me kind of like a dog with a whistle somewhere. And she'll like, how does that happen? Where where does that come from? And I'm like, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's taking you to a different place. I know people, and particularly during the pandemic, when people stressed and think, they was kind of saying, find something that takes you out of your own mind. And I think writing is that for me. Reading definitely is. I kind of, I suppose, if you were to look at the brain, it would probably be doing a similar thing when I'm reading. But writing is an extra level again. I think you go an extra level deeper when you're writing. You're employing different things. Not only are you in the world, you're in the world you're creating uh, in real time, which is crazy it's crazy to think about but it's yeah just a beautiful thing when it happens all right i have to ask this question i'm going off my notes here and uh, you, you just made me think of something and this is a conversation i have had so many times and i love it each time i never get tired of this question <clears throat> and that is this are you and some people hate these phrases plotter versus plants uh, pants so do you plot uh, either similar uh, simply or uh, in a complex fashion or do you just go all right, I got an idea. I'm just going to run with it. Yeah, I actually, and again, this is probably an answer lots of people give. So forgive me. I'm kind of somewhere in between, I suppose. I think to write a thriller, you have to have the plot. You have to know where that book is going. Because I think particularly when you're writing to a deadline, otherwise you'd probably go on for ages. So I definitely, I suppose, have what I describe as the key plot points fixed. 
Um, I have the midpoint. I have things kind of working through. But there's always that room. And I, I don't know if you're the same or other, other authors. You are constantly evolving things as you're writing. So for me, definitely in the sanatorium and the retreat, there were elements which surprised me, thoughts which only came up halfway through, for example. And that is so fun. I think if I had everything laid out, and I do admire the authors who have their office walls with hundreds of post-it notes and every scene laid out. But I think part of it would take the little bit of mystery away if I knew everything. I sure. like to be able to tell myself the story as I go. So yeah, I'm, I'm between the two. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, before I, and this is a great place to pivot before we start to wrap it up. Uh, and I've got a question that I ask all my authors, uh, you know, new, old, otherwise, if you were to offer a single best piece of advice, this could be primarily to would-be writers, which a lot of my yeah. audience is, those beginning their journeys. It could be for people who have maybe thought about hanging up their typewriter or yeah. uh, keyboard. What do you think that single best, and it can be two, but my point is kind of what's the essence of that advice? Yeah, the essence, I think, and I had moments, and you were kind of saying people giving up. I think that's a good idea. I had moments when I was writing, I suppose, this book and what would become kind of a novel that was in my drawer where you feel like it's an impossible dream. And I think I think you've got to hold the idea that if you find the right story and you write it well, it will find its audience. And so that idea of never giving up and perseverance, it sounds like a cliche, oh, keep writing. If it's not this first book, it could be the second, but that is really true. There is no time limit on writing, like there might be on a job role that, you know, the deadline's next week. With the, with a finding the story, if there is story is good, it will find its audience. So I would say keep writing. And I have to say another one. Can I add on one small one? Absolutely. Which I, think is, which I think is really key is when you're getting that first draft down of a book or even that first chapter to not be so self-critical on a line by line level. And that's something I've spoken to aspiring authors a lot about where they're worrying so much. Is that sentence perfect? probably that sentence will end up being cut one day. So just make sure you get the words down on the plot. And I think it's really kind of, yeah, it's really hampering if you're constantly worrying about, can I get this page done? Is that sentence perfect? It's just get the words down. Just sit your bum on the chair and get writing. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to someone who uh, said a similar thing and they said, race to the end so that you know yeah. what the climax is of the finale. And then exactly. you can go back and polish to your heart's content. Exactly. And that edit, that editing, I don't think I really realised till I wrote the sanatorium, actually, how much of that polish comes in the edit, not only your own edit, but your edit with your actual editors. And yeah, if you're constantly kind of worrying, you won't get that kind of ending, as you said, you won't be rushing to that climax. And once you finish the book, and you've kind of got to that ending, as you say, all the rest can come later, most people don't get to the end. So if you can do that, you're kind of halfway better than most people. <laughs> Do you find, uh, do you have, I'm going to speak as though I don't know this at all, so I can get a really great full answer. There are two different type of editors, generally speaking, developmental and copy, right? So one would be punctuation, et cetera. One would be yeah. structure. Do you use, do you, are you staying in communication with both uh, during your writing process or do you do you bang it out give it to copy and then pick it up and work on it and then hand it to developmental and then have that relationship back and forth yeah no it's very much so when you're writing and with your early stages you're working with your editor who works on the structure and as you say all the 
developmental changes as you're working. So really, it's only when they feel the book is sort of structurally complete. Um, and there's, I mean, they will work on a line level if there's things that they pick up on that they think, oh, actually, that doesn't work or fact checking, they will do that. But yeah, it's kind of all the developmental stuff first, then it goes off to the copy editor for the final moments. And indeed, there may be bits, then you work again with the developmental editor, but it is mainly that way around development first, then the copy editor. Got it. Okay. That that's, makes so much sense. Do you, uh, side note, do you play any sports? Do you have any sports that you are particularly fond of? Yeah, I love, um, well, winter and summer, actually. We're kind of by the sea. So I love to kayak, love to paddleboard. And in the winter, I'm a really keen skier. So we try to head out to the Alps as much as we can. Um, and I love sort of walking and running, anything sporty, really. <laughs> okay. So this is my point. If you, you know, if someone were to say as an analogy, hey, you know, you want to go ski a double, triple black diamonds, just grab a <laughs> pair of skis and just go for it. You would no more do that than no. you, right? You want to practice and hone that skill, learn the the blade and so forth, and 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 turning and so forth. Uh, so it's it, I always use the analogy of golfing, and, and and a friend of mine said recently, "Let's just go out and hit the bucket of balls for a couple of days." And I'm like, I like that from the standpoint of keeping your body loose and kind of practicing on your swing, yeah. but. Um, there was a point when I was making a particular move that was completely wrong, but I didn't know it. And I couldn't figure out why the ball was doing a certain thing until someone looked at it and he goes, well, dude, that part of your swing, the swing is good, but that what you do with your hands here is completely wrong. Ah, like, okay. so, so they showed me how to move that. And from then on, straight as an arrow. And I thought if I had continued to practice with the way I was going, I would have built in that muscle memory and never yeah. gotten better at my game. Yeah. Same with writing, right, Sarah? I mean, if you if you don't practice good structure or, you know, technique on dialogue and you just kind of hammer at something that doesn't work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you kind of constantly have to be rigorous. And I think there's an element as well, and lots of people have asked this when writing a series kind of do you almost get to know the character too much and you're kind of not looking as you would with I suppose a fresh character about how you kind of work through their arc and that kind of thing and I agree I think as an author uh, if whether you're writing short fiction whether you're writing a novel you do have to kind of constantly I suppose check in on yourself um, and check through what you're doing on a on a, on a sort of day-to-day -day basis but I think the idea of muscle memory is a really interesting one. I think by writing every day, that's a good thing. But yeah, I think you do need to check in. And in particular as an aspiring author, there are courses you can do and kind of people that can mentor you, as you said, to kind of pick up on what you are doing wrong. I don't think there's any good in kind of just practicing and practicing and kind of, yeah, not going anywhere. I do right. think it's helpful to get that kind of expert advice at some point as well. And you said something a second ago that I hadn't really consciously put together before, but you have a similar, uh, the same character in both books, and yet you call them standalone. So you're not really calling it a series. So it begs the question, twofold question: A, will there be another with the same detective? And 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 B, what was the decision to to create to craft, for back of lack of a better term, two independent books that were not really called a series? Oh, that's interesting. No one's asked that question before, actually. And it's it's made me think about the kind of, I suppose, way I looked at both of the books. So, yeah, I think when you have both books with connected characters, 
um, I think one of the challenges with not having them that could work as a standalone is that you're not really thinking about that secondary plot. Perhaps you're worrying too much about the detective's personal life. You're worrying about their development at the expense of a plot. And I think with the retreat, we have a robust, I suppose, story in its own right. So we have the story of Hannah who's coming to the island. You have that whole plot, um, which in a way could work on its own without Ellen. We have Ellen there and she's investigating the crime. But for an author that's just picking up that book, they needn't have read the first one. And actually, I think it makes a, any series better if it can be read as a standalone. I think it makes you fact check. It makes you think, have you crafted that initial character correctly? I think with Ellen, I had to make sure that a new reader would find her as well-rounded as if they'd read her. And while I think you can have that added depth from having read the sanatorium, it definitely makes the book better if it, I personally, if it can be read as a standalone. Superb. And so is there a third in the making? There certainly is, actually. And we're kind of carrying on a plot thread, which is sort of, I suppose, secondary plot thread that's been running through both the sanatorium and the retreat. We have this character who is watching Ellen. Um, and yeah, I'm really kind of playing with the idea that Ellen's not an unreliable narrator, but there's lots about Ellen we don't know. And in this third book, we're tying up this sort of thread of this character watching her and why they might be watching her. So, yeah, it's it's really fun to write. <laughs> you know, back to this unreliable narrator, I know that that became really big. What Was it Gone Girl that really kind of exploded that idea? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. And it's been um, attempted many times since. And as much as I would like to say, oh, would somebody please get off of that? I go, yeah, but I kind of really like that because it screws <laughs> with your head something fierce. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it really does. It's the idea that you kind of, I suppose you like to think that the person narrating and the person whose head you're inside, you can trust. So to play with that a little bit, I just am fascinated in general, I suppose, by how much we ever know ourselves as people. And I think with Ellen, we're hearing her thoughts. We're knowing what's going on in real time. But yeah, is she reliable? Is she kind of knowing herself? And I think we see in the sanatorium, she doesn't. She can't quite trust her own mind, her own memories. And that's really fun. <laughs> and when you think about it and you want to drill down on the psychosis or the psychology, I suppose, or those good could be interplayed of us in general, is we don't ever really know someone, do we? I mean, no. You can push someone into a corner. I'm talking about a mate or a best friend, and you think you know them like the back of your hand, and you push them into a particular corner, and you find out what really lies at the core, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I think it's the old adage, I think people say, of when you go on holiday with someone, <laughs> you really know them, kind of like a university friend that you've spent bits of time with. And yeah, I'm fascinated by the idea that we don't know people as well as we think. And where is that breaking point? I think in the in the retreat, we have Hannah, who's this middle sister, um, and she's kind of, I suppose, the stable figure in the family. But there's something bubbling beneath the surface, all those frustrations. And yeah, people think they have her measure. But you find she, she, you, you don't, and I think that is so fun as an as a writer to explore the idea that we don't know the people closest to us. Because I agree, I don't think we ever do. <laughs> well, like your husband, for instance, I'm sure there's something along the way where you. How long have you been married, roughly? Oh my gosh! Oh, oh. Um, oh dear! Take, take um, your time. Mm. Twelve years. <laughs> Twelve. Mm. Yes. Yeah. You sure it's not eleven? Thirteen. Um, um, yeah, I'll come back to you on that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awful. 
You put me on the spot, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, James, don't listen. Don't listen to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. I no, love you, fine. James. It's it seems as though it's been a hundred years in the best way. <laughs> I, I I do remember our last anniversary. Honest. <laughs> no, it's fine. That's so sweet. I've completely forgot my reason. Uh, oh, basically, it was this. It, it, I'm sure in those twelve years, we'll call it twelve. <laughs> Um, that you, you learned something here closer to the end of the 12 than you knew at the beginning, didn't it? Oh no, definitely. And I think you also learn things that you perhaps think were kind of quirks at the beginning. And I think you realize that are kind of sort of set in stone as well about someone's character, which I think is really interesting. You think, yeah, people can evolve and the relationship does evolve, but there are certain things that kind of you notice at the beginning that are there. So I think it's, it's twofold, but no, people are different. And I think one of the things I'm interested in writing about in perhaps the standalone book next is particularly after people divorce, people say there's that moment between they know their partner, but from the moment kind of that breakup period happens, they can become a stranger. And I'm really intrigued by that. That you've lived in that house with someone, you shared all those sort of intimacies. And then one day, yeah, you, you are nothing to each other. And that is scary, I suppose. <laughs> I've always found that terrifying, but it's, and I've had a couple of uh, uh, partners along the way until I got married late in life. And, and it's true. You, it's so funny. You think, uh, you think, you know, them until one day you're on vacation and you know, it gets too hot or the power <laughs> goes out or fill in the blank. And all of a sudden this personality bubbles up from the basement and you're like, well, geez, I didn't see that coming, you know? <laughs> And then exactly. to further your point, then you split up and this animosity comes out of nowhere and you're like, wow, I didn't know you hated me that badly. Oh yeah. I've always kind of had a little bit of a hate for it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, and and also on a similar theme of the marriage things, I, you know, there's been a few cases here in the UK where kind of one of the spouses has snapped and going on the criminal thing kind of murdered or hurt that person. And you think, how could you have lived in the same house when you had that murderous feeling? <laughs> That feeling was so strong and you've suppressed it for all that time. And people say, I thought they had a happy marriage. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so funny. You should say that. I just had this thought the other day, like I'm Sarah, come on. There's somewhere along the line. You, you have probably had the thought that person made me so mad. If I could just hit them, I would, <laughs> or I would just shoot them. And you don't really mean that, but I've always had this thought. What if all of a sudden you woke up one day and you're, partner was a closet killer yeah. and you had no idea yeah. a serial killer yeah. or something yeah yeah but there are i mean when you read about kind of things a lot of these people obviously there are disturbed individuals who've been kind of noticed as such but there are people who yeah have that personality and people don't know and i think often that kind of often narcissistic sort of personality disorder people can mask those behaviors and feelings really well and that's how they get to the positions they're in so, yeah, yeah, who knows? Hopefully my husband isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Dr. Sarah is on the air. Call in with your problems. All right. Well, it's time for a little rapid fire questions, which is just a fun little ditty we do on the show. And question number one, you and your hubby, speaking of your hubby, have finally gotten away from the hubbub of your press junkets and you're able to retreat. I mean, uh, relax uh, on a lovely remote island, we'll say, hypothetically. When suddenly things get weird, and I'll leave that very broad, what okay. three things are you glad that you brought with you? 
Now that's a full question, but you know, it might be something you're, you're always secretly packing away with you. You know, the power could go out, you know, fill in the blank, but I want to make it really broad because I wanted to see where your imagination was that what you would pack for a holiday, you know, you're going to be gone for two, three, four weeks, you know, and those three things you're glad you packed. Oh, well, firstly, I'm not sure whether it's something I would necessarily pack, but my husband always has one of those multi-tool devices, which would be really useful. I don't have it hanging from my belt, but I think I'd be really super glad of that. Um, Oh, yeah. I suppose a pair of robust shoes on a desert island. I personally am the type of person who packs a huge amount of shoes. So I think a pair of robust shoes kind of scrambling away from anyone would be really good. And the other one would be my trusty phone. I'm sure I wouldn't be able to use it, but <laughs> but I think I'd be glad to have that on in an extreme situation of any kind. I probably wouldn't get help as Ellen doesn't, but yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> Superb. Now I do want to ask uh, the word robust and what would make a shoe robust? Uh, something that isn't a flip-flop. I've been in circumstances before where I've taken a flip-flop and they're the most useful, useless piece of things. They're fine for kind of flipping around on a flat surface, but something that's laced up, um, not waterproof. Most shoes aren't waterproof, but something I could run in. I need sure. a good trainer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. And now life has returned to normal, all is well, and you still have a week for your vacay. What two books did you bring with you to read? Oh, I think one book I would pick that I come back to time and time again, I think I've mentioned it actually, um, is The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters, an historical author. Um, It's a book that's multi-layered. It's a ghost story. It's kind of psychological character study. Um, It's a brilliant sort of exploration of the British class system. I'd read that one over and over. And then I think for a sheer page turning read, it would have to be Joan Esbo's The Snowman, um, a book I've read about six times, um, always scares me and just love (laughs) Is it within reaching uh, area of you? Because you keep pointing to it. Let's see it. Oh, yeah. Joe Nesbo. Oh, that reminds me of a Fargo, kind of that Fargo energy. Yeah, and it it has everything. It's atmosphere. It's kind of Harry, the main detective, full of self-doubt. It's a little bit bloody, um, a little bit gory. Amazing book. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) well-crafted. So nice. Okay. Uh, just two more here. Number three, your fairy godmother arrives just as you return home from your vacation, and she says she can grant you one wish, and it can be anything. What would that be? Oh, gosh. Probably, I suppose, for time to slow down. I always find on a vacation or the period afterwards, things go really quickly and you're immersed back in real life. I'd love time when I come back in vacation to absorb the memories, print off the photos, do everything afterwards. You get back in everyday life and you're thinking, did I really go on holiday? So I'd love that period to last a little bit longer. (laughs) I love that. It makes you say, if I had a three-week vacation, I want to spend two away. And then when I return, take that one to acclimate back into reality. Yeah, I think it does feel almost surreal when you come back. You kind of almost forget that holiday immediately. You kind of go back to work, go back to real life. And yeah, I'd love time just to absorb what we did and talk through it all. Yeah. Fourth and final, you're going to like this one. Reese Witherspoon has just called to tell you that she not only chose the retreat as the latest of her book club picks, but she wants to option your book for a film and is asking that you come aboard as a producer. So... Your job, who would you cast for Detective Ellen Warner? Oh, that is such a tough question. I think as the author, you have the kind of very much the fictional character in your mind. Um, oh, I think I suppose in terms of physical appearance and kind of characters I've seen paid, maybe Blake Lively. She's kind oh. of got very much the look. 
very much kind of the right age, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, sporty. I think she'd be a good Ellen. She's got that vulnerability. Yeah, like life. And happens to be one of the most beautiful women walking the planet. <laughs> exactly. That would be a help. <laughs> and and talking about a range of acting that she's done. She, I mean, yeah. I, I think of her in um, The Town. And then I think of her in that one where she remains the same age over and over after. Oh, an yeah. What's the, um, what's the name of that one? Yeah. Uh, sorry, either, that one's lost. <laughs> yeah. Either way, a fantastic uh, choice. Okay. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, once again, the book is The Retreat. Sarah Pierce, what a great page turner. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure talking about it. And uh, folks, if you'd like to learn more, go to sarahpierce.co.uk and then you can follow her on Twitter at Sarah V. Pierce. Is V for That's vicious right. or victorious? <laughs> Victoria, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Once again, Sarah, thank you so much. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. And so are you. Honestly, the questions, it's just really, really good fun. It, I love the way they made me think, which I know sounds silly, but not always. It's, yeah, kind of similar questions. I love that. It kind of makes it much more natural. Yeah. Well, uh, inside scoop, I uh, I had a radio show for 25 years. So uh, okay. New York, LA, Chicago, Philadelphia. So I was always, you know, my thing was talking to people about their stuff. And I you know, when you get around to that, so tell me, where do you get your ideas? And is this book, you know, and I'm like, who, who gives a, a care about that? I mean, just, let's just talk and hang out and have fun. This is why this show is, you know, doing well, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I also, I just think it's like going off the cuff. You're kind of just, yeah, you're not following a script per se. And I think that's really helpful because I think there's things people say which are more interesting perhaps than the original question sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's really good. When I'm listening to interviews sometimes, I think, oh God, why didn't the interviewer pick up on that point they said? Or yeah, and it's, I think, but like you say, it's a skill to be able to do that. So that's probably your background, isn't it? You're almost listening for the story rather than the answer to the question in a way or something. I don't know. Well, there's two things. I always, yeah, listening is number one key. And number two is being inquisitive, just naturally inquisitive. So if yeah. I hear you talking about something, I, I like to just forget what I, about what I had in mind because <laughs> yeah. you might, you might take me down a path that's way more interesting. But if you're stuck on a script, then, <laughs> yes. you know, it's like you can always tell actors who are waiting to say their line versus good actors who are listening to your line and then naturally yeah. using the energy to respond. Respond. Yeah, exactly. And like the fact you are inquisitive, I think you've got to be that people person, haven't you? You're kind of genuinely interested. And I think that really comes across rather than, yeah. Well, thank you. And the only way this could get any better, and I love this, I really do, is to sit down in person because that is when you really can, you know, your time constraint is perhaps a little looser. You yep. get that energy of the eyeball to eyeball. And it's yes. just, it's, yeah. I'm hoping one day, uh, which is why I'm working so hard on the show now so that I can get to that place to where. That would be amazing to oh, have yeah. that. There aren't many, are there, where you have that kind of, or I suppose it's the skill of the interviewer and loving books and loving the genre. And then I, well, I may, definitely not in the UK. We don't have anything like that. I think it would be hugely popular. You're doing something genuinely interesting. It's not something I've, in the UK and even in the US, the kind of show you're doing, it's not like anything I've heard. So yeah, I think you're on, yeah, I think you're going to, yeah, smash it really. 
<laughs> and why is that? I'm just really curious because I, you know, sometimes you live in a bubble and all you see is the other side of the bubble. So what is it about this show that makes it so much different than what you've Because seen? I think you're going under the skin of people. I think it is dependent on you as a person because, as you say, you are inquisitive and it probably is the radio background. I'm sure other podcasters do have that, but I think you're kind of, I don't know, you're digging beneath the surface. And I think the ability to kind of, as I say, listen to that other person, it sounds surprising, but I don't think everybody always does. They're looking ahead to their next question. And I think it makes it really dynamic. The kind of questions you're asking are really different. It's a mixture, I suppose, of the book itself, which is, as you say, is interesting, but also what makes the writer tick. And I think that's actually, when I go to talks and things, that's often what more people are interested in. The book, fine, I'll read the book when I get home. But actually, why do you do what you do? That kind of thing. And I think, yeah, that's what your show does, which others don't. Well, you've just paid me the highest compliment I, you could ever. Oh, of course. <laughs> and thank you. because, And, and, and I, I'm glad that shows through because you never really quite know. Like I said, you feel like a vacuum sometimes. But all I know is that, look... You wrote a book. You spent a year plus writing it. It's uh, it's good. I, we could sit here and talk about the book all day long. And yeah. the person listening is going to probably read it anyway. But exactly. Th- but they're never going to get a chance to go. But what about Sarah Pierce herself? I'd love to know yeah. what makes her. To use the phrase, what makes her tick? I mean, what? Yeah. How does she do that? And that, to me, that's that's the best thing ever. Exactly. And also, I think the point, maybe mistake people make with the book is the fact that if you haven't read the book, I know that sounds awful because it's my book, but if you haven't read it and you're listening, it's actually quite boring in a way because you haven't got the characters in your head yet. Right. So it's a bit like someone t- describing a situation you've not been on or a holiday you've not been on. I think kind of going into that level of detail about the book is fine, but if they haven't read it, it's just it's 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 up in the air isn't it I think it's more interesting if you have read it but I think you're covering off both aren't you if you haven't read the book here's what it's about it's great go and read it but yeah what about that author which is yeah new yeah well two things I don't ever do a blurb of the book itself I don't sit here and tell you about your book (laughs) I get you to tell me about your book number one number two that's why I sprinkle in quotes, and especially if they're really well-known people, because I know that if someone says to me, hey, David, you gotta, you should read Sarah's book. Oh, really? Well, is it a good? Yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, has it gotten great reviews? Yeah, David Baldacci called it stunning. Oh, oh well, okay. I, I've read <laughs> yeah. everything Baldacci's ever re- written, so okay. So it's anything to incentivize the listener, right? Just a little bit more. Back to the point I was trying to make earlier. Yeah. This is a business. This is very systematically, yes. scientifically created. <laughs> so I know that if you, if I read this, I'm going to either A, see a formula that I've seen before. And since I'm a pattern watcher, I tend to sometimes negate things. Or yeah. you're going to tell me too much, which is why I go, well, just tell me if everybody's excited about it and, yeah. and give me an essence. And then I'm just going to rip into it, which I did. So there you go. Yeah. No, there's definitely like I found on some books, there's a giveaway of like almost one of the, the key reveals is in the, in the book. So, yeah, you're better off not doing that yeah. sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want to cut into your time. Uh, I'm you. so grateful for this time, Sarah. You're you're beyond delightful and i'm so pleased to have spent some time with you oh thank you and genuinely thank you for having me on it means a lot (laughs) do they get any more delightful than sarah pierce that accent and charming as heck 
the book is The Retreat. It's a great summer read. Unless, as I said at the beginning of the show, unless, of course, maybe you're going to a remote exotic island. You might want to think twice. Great read. All right. Now, coming up on next week's show, I'm going to go ahead and tell you straight up that I've got two episodes, two episodes coming out next week. You know, I'm just giving you more bang for your buck, so to speak. On Monday, with a special edition, a debut author, Eli Craner. The book is Don't Know Tough. Um, that's a doozy. So join us Monday for Eli Craner, Don't Know Tough. And then on Thursday, I have been waiting for this gal to return to our airwaves for quite some time. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. She's delightful. She's hilarious. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's talented, mad talented. And she's none other than Meg Gardner. And this book is Heat 2, co-written with the director, filmmaker, Michael Mann. Look at the size of this thing. This is a prequel and a sequel. This is a before-after of the actual story. I'm still in it, and I cannot wait to talk to Meg about Heat 2. So, next week, going to be a full week here on the Thriller Zone as we are knee-deep in summertime fun. So, I hope you'll make plans to attend. Also, just a little bit of business. I want to say thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Warwicks.com and my good friends over at AuthorBytes.com, the folks who host my website, David Temple Books, and they'll host yours. Secondly, thank you so much for your reviews. We would love to have some more. See, what we do is we get those reviews. We put them on our website, TheThrillerZone.com. And it's kind of like reading reviews on the back of books, right? All these highlighted blurbs. People read those and they go, man, I want to read that book. People read your reviews. They go, I want to listen to that show. Also, YouTube.com, The Thriller Zone. And of course, the more you subscribe and tell your friends and they subscribe, the faster we can grow. And of course, all the places that you listen to your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, thethrillerzone.com, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening. And of course, thank you for sharing with your friends and family. Well, that does it for me. I, uh, I got some reading to do, some more preparation to do. So continue to enjoy your summer. And I'm David Temple, your host. I'll see you next time for another edition of The Thriller Zone. Your favorite authors, The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.